0: Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. So in the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world. And a series of exclusive content such as interviews weekly job listings events and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity but more than a place where you can learn exchange and grow we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field and soon alongside with other top investors we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email Guillaume at StartupBaseCamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi everyone, in today's episode, we are speaking with Caitlin Whale, Senior Associate at Counteract. The UK-based fund, started by three serial entrepreneurs, invests in and supports pre-seed and seed carbon removal founders in their fight against climate change. The firm targets to build a portfolio of companies that will have the potential altogether to remove 5 gigatons of carbon by 2050. I was excited to have Caitlin on the show, an incredible woman who grew up in South Africa, where she started working in the mining industry as an engineer and ended up investing in and supporting early-stage climate tech founders by joining Counteract. Caitlin will share her extensive knowledge in a deep overview of the carbon removal ecosystem today. You will learn the six different areas where natural processes and technology can accelerate carbon capture. She will also cover their carbon capture potential for each of those areas, some of the existing methods, challenges and benefits that are associated with each of them. And I have to admit, I learned a ton and I feel each of those areas could be a deep dive episode in itself. Then she will cover in detail how they select and support founders and how they measure the impact that they base the investment decision on. She will go on to highlight underdog areas in carbon removal in which she sees exciting potential for investment and growth. Following that, Caitlin will share a view on the important role women can play in the climate tech ecosystem and how you can be involved in the growing climate tech movement today. In the second part of the show, Caitlin will give a secret source for founders looking to fundraise and pitch investors successfully. Lastly, Caitlin will cover how she tackles challenges to maintain a healthy work-life balance and share a few inspiring authors and shows to listen to. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hi, Caitlin, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. And for many reasons, I have to uh, to admit. First, uh, we were in the the same on day climatic batch uh, last summer, and during that time, I had uh, uh, the chance to exchange with you at numerous uh, opportunities and have very interesting conversation. Uh, but also, you're an expert in uh, in carbon removal uh, in the carbon removal market. Uh, thanks to you, uh, thanks to your position at uh, Counteract, uh, which is a very uh, exciting subcategories in the the climatic industries. And I think more importantly, uh, you're part of this uh, growing number of incredible women uh, fighting climate change. So uh, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, G. That's quite a, a list, but I'm, I'm very grateful to be here and discuss this with you, and excited to see where it goes.
0: So before we start, as uh, usual, could you give us a thirty-second uh, introduction about uh, Counteract?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so Counteract exists to catalyze carbon removal. And we aim to start with five gigatons by 2050. And this is part of the mission of helping pre seed and seed stage companies overcome the very early barriers by providing them with support both in the capital front, but also through help with commercialization, communications and community.
0: Okay, so let's start from the from the top. As uh, as I mentioned to you before, we always uh, love to put the the human back into uh, into the center of the uh, interview. So, can you tell us a bit more about your personal uh, story and background? I mean, what are you uh, passionate about? What do you do besides working and supporting and investing uh, in, in in founders? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or like your uh, like your best self? Who is Caitlin in a way? <laughs>
1: thanks for the question. Um, so I think my my story is very much founded in South Africa, which is where I'm from, and lucky to be here at the moment. um I, I wasn't sure what route I wanted to take in in kind of the working world, as I think with most people is the case. Um, and I was a very passionate dancer, but turned out I ended up having knee injuries that pushed me away from that at the time that I was choosing. So followed a kind of engineering route that my family did because what else did you do when you came from that family and that was really helpful because it was very much based on first principles and I think a, a good way to kind of be taught how to think and learn and very applicable to different industries. Um, I then kind of moved into the engineering world in mining and I quickly found actually through the process of elim- elimination that that wasn't it didn't feel true to kind of what motivated me and I say that kind of growing up in South Africa made a big impact on me. I think you are faced with such extremes, extreme beauty and richness of kind of nature, mountains, ocean, but then also such extreme poverty and seeing that kind of firsthand. If you had to fly into Cape Town airport, you see Massive informal settlements with devastating living circumstances, right next to like huge mansions on the mountains. And so, just growing up with these extremes, I think for me built a huge motivation to try and try and alleviate that in some way or another. And kind of my journey into where I am now, which I'm sure we'll go into to more, has kind of been coming closer and closer to that goal. So.
0: With- I would say like during this, this whole journey, uh, as you mentioned, uh, prior to uh, engineering background and you no know, investors you, uh, uh, you, you are also like uh, attracted by the dancing uh, and, and performing, uh, performing world. Um, so can you tell us a bit about those experiences in itself? Uh, what did you learn uh, during that, that journey that gave you in a way an edge to, to join the, to join the firm and, and in a way your position today?
1: yeah um I think first of all tenacity like I think even through those knee injuries and I'm sure most ballet dancers who've been in pointe shoes can attest to the fact that you just have to dance through the blisters and through the blood and the sweat and try and perfect things that are quite difficult or definitely were difficult for me to get into shape i mean my surname's whale but they used to call me caitlin wild because i just wanted to be expressive and (laughs) out there and and actually just trying to contain it and, and put in the hours and the discipline and practicing every night and every weekend was a really good practice for for knowing that it's actually input equals output and the more effort you put in up front meant the more kind of effortless and enjoyable the performance and when you come up to kind of game day and you do this big sure you can get lost in it. Um, and I think that's been a, a really applicable skill that I've been able to apply in any industry. Actually, it's just putting in that those long hours, hard work, does re- result in more enjoyment and I think better results.
0: So all of that, um, you know, now you're uh, investing in, uh, in in climate tech companies and, and, and startups. Um, so before you know jumping into that uh, climate industry, do you recall any like specific aha moments that you could you know define as such that was really the driver to jump into the into the industry?
1: I think I, I mean I've thought about this. It's for me it was very much a process of elimination and uh starting i i started my career in mining and it's so weird that now investing in carbon removal opportunities we are looking at a number of mineralization opportunities that are using mine waste facilities and so i've had an aha moment now that retrospectively it's helpful to have been in some parts of my career in mining and other parts of my career in building sustainability but the actual process for that has helped me on that journey has very much been understanding what gives me energy and moving closer and closer to that kind of inception of companies and trying to help founders come over those barriers in different ways has has been where I feel my piece of the puzzle is most return of kind of energy invested.
0: Okay, so let's take a a zoom out now. Um... And Can you give us a, an overview on the of the carbon removal uh, landscape today? But maybe prior to to that, if you could give us a little uh, bit of background to uh, to our listeners uh, about the need of removing carbon uh, from the atmosphere. I mean, why is it the, the time now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I there's a, a metaphor that I've heard which I find really helpful to conceptualize and to explain to people who aren't really in the weeds of the the space, that carbon removal is almost like with a a boat, there's holes in the boat and there's water rushing in, that's the planet and the water is the carbon and the more emissions we're putting out there, we have to deal with. So the kind of avoided emissions, so transitioning to renewable energy, electrifying transport, are all pieces of the puzzle of actually plugging in those holes and stopping more emissions coming into the boat. But then carbon removal is actually once you've plugged up those holes, how do you scoop out that water and enable the boat to continue to the destination? And what's been very apparent as we've tried to unpick all the kind of data on how much carbon we need is that. But in every IPCC scenario for how we get to 1.5 degrees, there is an assumed level of carbon removal, which is averaging on around 10 billion tonnes per year by 2050. And if we look at where we are right now, it's less than 1% of that. And so just like even thinking about by getting to that target by 2050. Right now we need to be backing innovations that are doing it kind of the most, in the most innovative way, but also the most efficient way, promoting co-benefits. And there's so many different considerations, which I'll go into, which are kind of specific to the different themes. Um, So then that gives the high level picture of, we have to go very far, very fast from almost a standing start. So we need to kind of, carbon removal needs all the help can get. Um, but I just want to stress that we absolutely need carbon avoidance as well in circular economy. These are all p- pieces of the puzzle, but we specifically focus on the carbon removal need.
0: Yeah, um, definitely.
1: yeah, and then to go into the kind of deeper part of it. So typically, there's spoken about nature based to engineered solutions. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways of categorizing that. Um, When you look at different removal pathways, the kind of two key ones or key mechanisms for drawdown are usually through photosynthesis, um, like through plants and um, things that happen naturally, and then through chemistry. And there are examples of where nature are doing this by themselves. And so how we contract, break these into themes are into kind of six core themes, which we talk about, oceans, forests, soil, biomass, direct air capture, and rocks, or enhanced weathering. Um, And would now be a good time to go into a little bit of each of them and, and talk about what opportunities or issues we like to focus on.
0: Yeah, I would love to. Would love to uh, to go and uh, if you can give us like for for each of them uh, a little bit of like the the background, uh, how does it work in terms of like in a way natural methods, uh, challenges like the benefits, but also like uh, the engineering uh, methods that can be uh, associated to uh, to each of them.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'll go through them and kind of talk about some of the practices that exist and the potential co-benefits, and then the issues that we care about which will evolve as the kind of knowledge in the space does. But starting with um, soil carbon, uh, so the potential capacity in soil is huge. There, I think there's an estimate of two to five gigatons of carbon dioxide per year in soil alone, but there are issues with how you measure that um, and and how much of that is temporary versus part of a cycle. And there are practices that have proven to increase the soil's ability to, to hold the carbon, such as conservative or regenerative agriculture. So more commonly, this could be you no know, tilling and planting of cover crops as examples of what could be done. But then also um, there's bioengineering of specific um microbes that can enhance kind of the plant's ability to draw down the carbon and store it more permanently in the soil. Um, And this kind of carbon is one mechanism for measuring how that how successful that is. But there are a whole heap of co benefits of both of these kind of natural practices, but also engineered practices, which include water retention, um, less agrochemicals that are required for fertilizers, improved profitability for farmers. And these are areas that we are trying to kind of look at where the issues are and invest in opportunities that are overcoming them. And so we kind of identify maybe three key issues being in the measurement, reporting and verification of soil carbon. And I think this is evidence in examples like Microsoft who puts up tenders for lots of nature-based solutions to for carbon removal. But then I think less than 2% of the soil applications were actually approved because of this MRV monitoring, um, reporting, and verification that was uh, applied. And I can talk about a portfolio company we've invested in, in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the the kind of permanence or in carbon removal they talk about durability so how long the carbon is being removed from from the atmosphere is is the measure that's ultimately you want to be measuring and increasing um and specifically in the farming landscape uh, it's very much a behavioral barrier there is present um and and farmers knowing about the benefits of of some of these more conservative agricultural practices is is one of the key barriers that some awesome startups are are overcoming. Um, and then I'll just move on to, so forests, Mm -hmm. um, which I think in the carbon market, you can also call above ground biomass. Um, but more broadly forests, this could be reforestation, afforestation or forest conservation. Um, each of, have their own attributes to how how they're pulling down carbon and and whether it's durable or kind of short term but i think some of the the key um issues to highlight is that it can take decades to sequester the carbon through trees or above ground biomass um sometimes up to 100 years and each tree has its own profile for how the carbon gets stored in it into it um, and the methods for for deploying these kind of carbon tre- credits through trees are rifled with ethical considerations like who who currently is on that land and how's that land currently being used. Um, and so innovations we look for, are we're hoping to try and promote kind of co benefits like biodiversity. So it's not just planting trees, but it's planting a biodiverse environment that can sequester the most carbon and help support other life forms. And then that also helps with things like tolerance to, to flooding um, and provide additional commercial benefits to, to the local owners. And we're definitely seeing a need for for more robust data coming from MRV monitoring and reporting and verification in this space.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah, because sorry to interrupt, that, but uh, it yeah, sounds that no. uh, the, the the forest uh, and like you know this uh, lovely greenwashing of a lot of companies like plant a tree and then uh, we offset our, our carbon emission that that way. Uh, it's way more complex than uh, than that. Uh, so, do you see any like uh, interesting companies that you guys have looked at and started to invest, or you see that? <laughs> uh, uh, in that sense uh, there is already a lot of uh, actors in the in the in the place that so you should uh, push uh, push uh, and look at uh, other solution.
1: yeah absolutely um so full disclaimer we've invested in a company that is specifically targeted in the space called chloris geospatial and we have looked at a number of innovations in the space, which is great, like Pachama and um, NCR. And why we specifically like um, Claris is basically what they're using is leveraging technology like satellite imagery and spaceborne lidar, with very robust scientific proof of how kind of these trees in these different environments are evolving. So they're known as allometric equations, which is basically the relationship between different characteristics that can be seen, and, and being able to draw, you know, at breast height, the the height of the tree and the volume of the biomass and, and trying to create those relationships. This team has been founded on kind of over 20 years of experience of actually taking those measurements and conducting that research by hand, as well as looking at how you can build the most robust algorithms to use that data to train the models, which are then real time interpreting it. And, and why that's helpful is that you can then get a very, like high level representation of what's happening on the ground. So for instance, if you're planting trees, and then there's a fire, in five years time, you're gonna get an immediate alert that actually there's something happening on the ground. So you're seeing what's happening almost how they call it as stock and flow. So you've got almost an image of what's happening with the carbon in the above ground biomass, but then also how that carbon is fluctuating with time. And you can go to a jurisdictional level and see, okay, we've got a forest the size of you know the Amazon. Um, and this is how it's performed over the last five years. And if we buy more credits in the space, this is how, how we would expect it to. And just providing more granular data and certainty around the data that you're viewing empowers the, the project selector, the buyer, the owner of those credits to, to see what's happening on an ongoing basis.
0: Thank okay. you um so i think we covered already a little bit like the the forest uh which which one do you want to cover now uh director capture rocks biomass yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean uh, let's let what you choose
0: let's go with the director capture it's always, uh, yeah. you know, the, the this exciting silver bullet that uh, people think putting those massive fans, uh, you know, outside is <laughs> very visual. So it sounds like, okay, we're going to uh, be able to capture all the carbon of the atmosphere, but uh, it sounds like <laughs> it's way more than that. So uh, t- tell us a bit more about the, the, the specificity of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just taking a step back, something that I found really helpful to see is project drawdown have created this framework which shows of all the kind of carbon emissions in that are coming each year kind of over 50 percent usually it's 55 percent are going into the atmosphere and then the remaining percentage is going into land and ocean and so we were talking about some examples of soil and forest that's in the land um, but it's the kind of remaining 55% that's building and accumulating in the atmosphere, which we need other mechanisms for drawing down. And that's what direct air capture is doing. Um, but it's also, it can only be half of the puzzle because once you've captured it, you also have to find a place to store it. Um, but just looking at the capturing point, um, the process, I guess, or well, including storage, can be split into three. of key stages one is the capture of the co2 one is the release of the co2 and then one is the storage which is where you put it long term and all of them need to be considered with the innovations you're looking in and the, the capture can be done through kind of solid sorbents or liquid solvents and typically those have been kind of materials that like to hold on to the co2 so when you then thinking about releasing it, it can be very energy intensive. So there are different ways of doing this, either through electrochemistry or thermo pressure swing, which are creating environments that make it kind of preferable for those materials to capture and then release the CO2 downstream. But then after that, you still need to think about, okay, what's happening with that CO2? Are you gonna be injecting it into geological storage points or into rocks or minerals, or is that gonna be utilized in kind of products? And if it is utilized into products, how long is that lifespan of the product? I mean, there's some companies like, I think even our soda streams, that, that's CO2, you could take that from the air, but if you are then putting it back into sparkling water, then that's just going straight back into the atmosphere. So you have to consider the durability of these different applications. Um, and the kind of energy intensity of of the capture and release and also the transportation, because it's it's all part of the, the question. And even if it is going into underground storage, there are considerations around leakage and how to ensure the safety and that there aren't other cracks that it's gonna end up pushing up oil and other reserves. Um, and so innovations that we're excited about are ones that are, creating routes to safely remove the, the carbon dioxide in a way that you can hopefully guarantee the durability. Um, ones that are creating environments that either can decentralize where you're placing the kind of capture units, um, and then also bringing the energy intensity down. So you're not having to use natural gas to heat a calcinated to degrees like north of 500 that that means that you just kind of pulling out more fossil fuels to split out the co2 uh yeah i
0: sorry <laughs> how do you Good. see the i wanted to make sure there's no background noise uh, in on my side uh, so how do you see like the the the, the proportion of like uh direct capture compared to more of those uh, natural process uh, that are in a way amplified uh, and accelerated by uh, some engineering uh, system. Uh, do, you see, do you see like, that sounds like the less natural in a way uh, process that uh, that you have in your in your list uh, in the area. So, was the, the, the percentage you think really like that's uh, mandatory, or you think that uh, I mean, according to your personal opinion and, and experience that you have, uh, it really it's needed uh, to uh, to compensate all the natural uh, other ways that are existing today.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question and. I think if you asked every one of us in the team, we'd all have a different answer. Um, I think that we are in agreement that we need all the solutions and we kind of need all the help that we can get. So, part of our mandate is to back a diverse range of opportunities, ranging from the nature based side to the engineered ones. And in engineered opportunities, direct air capture is the most kind of common referred to example there is definitely a need for for this. And it's also one of the most concrete, measurable ways of being able to remove carbon. Um, And so we absolutely see the the need for it. And that's probably represented in our portfolio, which I'm trying to think, I think we've got um, two currently that are specifically direct air capture, but then also a number of sequestration channels. So uh, and i think that will evolve would like a balanced kind of nature based to engineered solutions but mm. even with the nature based ones it's often it's not necessarily investing in in the forests or the soil per se it's investing in the technology that we think is going to enable that
0: enable that and accelerate the yeah. process uh, the natural process in a, in a way um let's, let's exactly. tell us a bit more about like uh maybe ocean and and rocks i think that's the mm-hmm. two and biomass did you cover that one uh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, okay. not yet not yet so, so well, um, let's go with the with the ocean It's so always like you know we hear some sure. uh, interesting part of it so we'd love to learn more learn more about it
1: yeah i mean we kind of split the ocean one. there's a few within the ocean um i think it's good to know a huge amount is currently stored in the ocean like Disproportionately large, um, but a lot of that's in kind of calcified uh, carbon that's at the bottom of the ocean. And so, how we split it out is biological, chemical, and engineered carbon. Um, so, going with the first kind of biological is coastal restoration, or more typically known uh, blue carbon, micro and macro algae cultivation, which each of them have their own kind of considerations you need to think about Um ocean iron fertilization, which there have been trials that were done off the coast of Canada in the past and created a lot of kind of negative press, but they still are being explored. Um, and then on the chemical side, ocean alkal- alkalinity enhancement. So trying to put in more alkaline substances into the ocean, which subsequently would help increase the ocean's ability to take up more carbon. And then on the engineered front is kind of deep sea storage and ocean upwelling or downwelling. I think with with each of these different systems, it's, there's always a consideration of kind of trade offs as with biomass, which we'll come to. So looking at if you are creating for instance, macro algae for carbon removal, unless you are doing something to permanently store that or store it in a long term usage, then there's question about, you know, should you be prioritizing food supplements or the potential to avoid methane in, in cow food versus carbon removal? And so there's, there's lots of trade offs with the with the different considerations. Um, and yeah, I was just thinking uh, the, the other one that's really important to consider is there's all these different currents. And for instance, with the ocean iron fertilization, where there was this big plume example, is you don't know how that in maybe the North Sea is going to affect something in the southern hemisphere and how all these currents interact with each other and maybe increased kind of fertilization in one front might decrease food population in another. So um, I think there's just a lot of care that needs to be taken when backing opportunities in the space. And for instance, one of the companies we've backed, um, Sequestrate, a big portion of the investment also went into conducting the marine research for this, um, this sequestration channel.
0: Uh, it's um, exciting. And I, yeah. I, I feel like, uh, you know, each of those uh, areas could be like a dedicated uh, podcast on it. There's so much to uh, to discover and <laughs> so much to I, cover. And I'm very impressed by the uh, amount of uh, uh, knowledge uh, that you're able to uh, to share with us. Thank you so much. So keep keep going on the ocean front. I, see, <laughs> I feel we, we just scratch the surface here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't probe too far because I think even all of us say we, we kind of feel like, imposters because it's there's so much as you kind of scratch the surface you just see how much there is so I think it's it's evolving with time and this will constantly change but quickly moving on to biomass um Mm -hmm. there's we call it internally as bikers opportunity so I think BEX was biomass energy carbon capture and storage and there's been different analyses which are questioning whether turning biomass into an energy source and then carbon capture is the most efficient route. And bikers is kind of a higher level encapsulation that would also consider things like biomass growth and then direct burial. Um, but just this in itself has many different arms. The, the kind of key areas that we focus on are uh, feedstocks. so um, looking at for instance, municipal waste or bioenergy crops like miscanthus or or algae even are all being used as feedstock for for biomass for carbon removal, and then also the conversion process. So, uh, is it biochemical or is it thermochemical? And what are the different kind of ratios between different processes like gasification or pyrolysis? And how how is that how do those different factors affect the end kind of carbon results. And we actually have um, a, a research analyst conducting a, a big paper on this at the moment, which is kicking up really interesting findings, um, and maybe a different podcast to go into that's, but, but it is interesting, as you kind of pull back the layers, how, how much more you can find. Um, and then on the storage piece, like with direct air capture, this is not a chemical it's this is more looking at photosynthesis as the mechanism for drawing down the carbon but then you've also got to consider the storage is it going into geological places or or land storage such as biochar or burial um, yeah, so and
0: some companies like uh, like Capfix, uh, for instance, you probably mm-hmm. uh, well know them uh, that were on the show uh, recently. Um, definitely, this uh, mineralization of the CO two was uh, a very interesting yeah. uh, interesting process uh, in itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and I think with all all these different channels, that storage piece is a big question, and the mineralization or the enhanced weathering angle provides some some compelling evidence because if you know that it's turning into a very durable product like a rock, which can have a long time frame and it's being stored underground, then then that creates a lot more certainty of over that state. Do you want me to move on to to um enhanced weathering some more, or do you feel like we've gone into enough
0: no, I, th- I think we we th- thanks to you we got a, a little like uh, snacking on of uh, each of those areas, uh, and I think uh, any bit a, a little bit more than uh, than that definitely. And thank you so much for for sharing all of that. As I mentioned, I think uh, each of those areas uh, will uh, require like a, a dedicated like uh, uh, deep dive uh, into it. Uh, but I'd like to, to understand from you, uh, zooming out a little bit uh, out of all of those areas, like, do you see any areas like today that is like the, the most active one, where there is the most investment and, and where, in a way, uh, there is uh, the most potential uh, at short term to really start to uh, to capture the, uh, the CO2 out of the atmosphere?
1: I mean, I feel like those those questions would probably differ per investor. Um, I think trends that we're seeing are so in the data validation in the forestry space, for instance, that I think has taken the shape of much more uh, typical tech venture style where it's lots of platform data play and can scale as a tech startup would. Um, In the direct air capture front, I think there are quite a few companies that are or VC funds rather that are wanting to invest because they know that that's kind of down the line that technology needs to be kind of operational at scale. And it's almost like I almost think about it in comparison to the solar panel. We're in the phase of proving what's the most efficient PV module. But then as soon as that's been landed on and probably there'll be a number, then we need to scale up really quickly to the project finance okay. stage and that's a whole different kettle of fish but to your question about the short-term carbon removal potential i think we see biomass as a huge one and um there's some really exciting biomass companies that we are in the process of closing opportunities with at the moment which i'd love to speak to you about down the line
0: definitely would love to. Uh, so biomass to, to, to according to you is like the, the, the fastest uh, I mean the, the, the low hanging fruit that uh, we should uh, we should go for and that you guys are, are looking at. Um, if you take a little bit like the uh, overall uh, ecosystem, I mean we know that uh, and you use this uh, wonderful example of the boat uh, taking water and how can we scoop it out uh, through carbon removal? That was a very interesting one. Uh, so, really, to to contribute to this uh, 2015 zero goal, I mean, what is the the, the situation today? Um, do you see like anything blocking that you have identified? Uh, is that do we need like? maybe new policies in place uh, to accelerate uh, that, uh, maybe it's like fundings. And I think fundings, as we see this year, uh, on the venture side has been uh, really accelerating, but not everyone is investing in uh, in carbon capture. Or maybe it's like, still like, as you mentioned, we're still looking for data, we're still looking to understand which uh, area uh, can be, um, you know, uh, in a way, accelerated through engineering uh, in itself. Uh, What is the the, the block that we have? Like, what do we need to remove in a way to really feel that, okay, now uh, we have uh, things in hand to support that goal and and we can make it, you know what I mean?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, Great question. I think there are multiple answers.
0: Um, yeah, I know. Please, let's would with the the first uh, one.
1: <laughs> the probably I I think the the first three thoughts that rushed to my head are so to your policy question. I think definitely this is definitely an area that I don't pretend to understand how best to incentivize or you know, whether it's a reward or a carrot or stick methodology, but certainly if there were a carbon tax floor set, you know, at a hundred dollars per tonne, that would certainly help open the floodgates in the space. Um, There's a carbon take back obligation that I heard about, which was really compelling, which suggested that companies that are still relying on fossil fuels, and will be very hard to transition, such as aviation, should be the same companies that offset through the most durable carbon removal means. So for instance, you know, if carbon offsets, you can currently go onto carbon offset marketplaces and, and buy offsets from something that was supposed to be a coal mine and instead became a wind farm or something like that, where it's actually not removing anything from that atmosphere if you then mandated that fossil fuel dependent companies had to buy the most durable offsets for instance direct air capture and geological storage then that would really help the kind of polluters pay more because it's Mm -hmm. much more expensive to buy offsets from from that and then more voluntary kind of companies that have targets to be net zero, could be supporting initiatives that are having additional co benefits, such as biodiversity enhancement, as well as carbon and soil. And then I think the final one, which is probably most relevant to, to kind of investors in this space is just, I guess, being mindful of previous kind of clean tech booms, and and I'm sure you've seen is how there's been a lot more interest and investments in the space and the multiples are shooting through the roof, how to really make sure that we're backing opportunities that are taking into consideration, you know, not just enabling more fossil fuels to be drawn or potentially putting out a whole lot of food sources to try and do this carbon removal. So just being mindful of the other social and environmental targets, whilst also focusing on the carbon removal and supporting these opportunities through growth challenges
0: and on the on the tech side on, on on the solution side uh because it sounds like the investment side i mean we, we just covered it, the policy side as well on the tech side you see that they see like a, a long way long way to go uh to really like optimize those different solutions or maybe this new solution that needs to be put in place because what we have today uh is not really uh efficient there is more like a, a patch on, a, on on the whole what um, how do you see i mean in, in a timeline of uh, you know one to ten how we are we like on three, six, seven uh, in terms of like maturity or uh, in, those, uh, in, in terms of the solution? What how do you would you consider that based on your knowledge?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it would change for different um, the different carbon removal pathways. Um, do so. I think thinking of direct air capture, that would be much on the one to ten scale. I would probably say is still unlike the three but then mm. biomass opportunities because there's not necessarily a huge amount that needs to happen if you're growing and burying for example then that could be closer to the seven um i think the ocean one would also be very much on the earlier stage um probably also i'd say less than four um and then yeah i'm, I'm just thinking where i'd place um soil probably bang in the middle it's we know that the mechanisms for doing it but but actually helping enable that transition is a different story um and there was another one which one am i forgetting
0: yeah probably rocks <laughs> did you mention that
1: one uh yeah i think with rocks it's i i, I don't know where i place rocks because because there's the the know-how that can be taken from kind of re- from mining and reversing yeah. it. So knowing how kind of technology deep underground behaves in some mechanisms is very known, but in other, so you could say half of that spectrum is on the six, seven, but then on the other hand is knowing how things are going to behave if you are introducing it to an ocean environment or looking at a new mechanism for for accelerating it is probably on the 3 4 so that's probably wide range and
0: mm-hmm okay thank you so much for uh, covering this uh, extensive uh, landscape and uh, giving us all of those uh, all of those insights and uh, I hope we, we didn't lose anyone uh, al- along the way but uh, anyway you should guys uh, have a look at uh, the website of the contract uh, they really have like uh, amazing uh, resource and data uh, regarding all of those uh, different uh, areas in itself uh, thank you Ka for for sharing that so let's go now into the the, the specific of uh, of contract uh, except if you have uh, something that uh, you would like to add regarding the, the landscape in itself. Um, otherwise, I will invite you to uh, you know to tell us a bit about the, the story. Who are the founders? Uh, why did they uh, started the, 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 the firm? Uh, and what is the, the thesis behind it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to move on to that. Um, I think, so speaking about contracts and maybe Talking about the founders, versus is they have backgrounds as serial entrepreneurs. They kind of found each other in earlier c- careers, and how they describe it is in kind of fintech before it was called fintech, and they were developing the first card, and that was acquired by Lloyd's Bank. And they had some early endeavors in different startups, and then they started a company called Essence, which is a kind of data-driven media and tech company which helped a number of a big company such as G- Google think about their kind of storytelling and strategy around advertising and how to really have a data-driven approach in this kind of market which was really at that stage very early on and undefined. Um, and from from the stories they've told that's given some some really good experience on commercializing international expansion thinking about communication and storytelling and negotiating contracts with, you know, key corporates, but also acquiring different um, other startups to be part of this growing machine and all with the, the mission of kind of data led approach and and they did a sale to um, WPP, and I think Andrew was the last one who stayed there to to see through that transition. And he's been kind of having contracts as his brainchild baby for the past few years and basically got the team back together after having landscaped the market, saying, how do we, how do we take kind of what we've learned and the success that we've been fortunate to get to help the planet and looked at things from kind of plastics in the ocean which we definitely need and, and a whole bunch of other things and landed on carbon removal specifically being a space that at this very early stage there's there's a lot of ideas and great innovations that could be hugely catalytic but the kind of hurdles are very much around that early financing where VCs are maybe not ready to take that risk because it's such an unformed market or even the communication, some of them, as we've discussed are very deeply technical and being able to communicate the need for it as well as the, like what's unique about the company is is a specific skill. And with all startups, but very much specific in, in how we have to scale in the carbon removal space is, is that rapid scale is like, something that i think you have to have lived firsthand to to really know some of the the pains and and small wins. So anyway, that's the background on the founders and how they landed on carbon removal in the space. Um, and and my background was kind of i was before contractor deep tech investor at Octopus Ventures and still with my kind of passion for climate tech having been in the mining space and then sustainability and renewable energy before moving into deep tech VC, I was hosting a round table around net zero for VCs and people like Pippa Gawley, who I know is also on your, your podcast recently just understanding how investors who've done great investments in the space are measuring success, uh, like, more than just the financial representation um, and this is how i met the the contract team pre-launch and i was very lucky to join them on day 1 which was earlier this year in february
0: fantastic and, and what is the 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 i mean the the, the thesis behind, uh, behind the do you have like yeah. any specifics that you could uh, could share and maybe then we can sure. use that as a, as a good segue in terms of like the you know what do you offer to those uh, to, those founders that you invest in? I mean, uh, what are the challenges that you see that uh, you guys try to uh, to cover? And I think commercialization is one of them that you uh, that you mentioned previously.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so our thesis, we we kind of have four uh, criteria that we kind of look at for every opportunity. Um, and I'll quickly run through those so one is is this opportunity catalytic so both does does this help create a line of sight to half a gigaton removal by 2050 cumulatively either directly or indirectly and also does having contractor around the table add to that cat- catalysis if you like So, i.e., we wouldn't want to just elbow into deals where there are already a lot of investors that are around the table. That's great, because then there's already a lot of money there. But sometimes in those cases, having us around the table for the additional things that we'd like to bring would make sense. And so that's how we define catalytic. The three others are, as I mentioned, diverse. So backing a range from nature-based to engineered solutions, because quite frankly, we need them all. Mm-hmm. self-sustaining. So this is a big one. This is, does the business model make sense such that when the companies at scale, they don't need to continuously fundraise to, to grow, they can actually self-sustain and scale with the markets. Um, and we believe the best companies will do this. So we try to find those opportunities early on. And, and also, if their business model isn't such that it's there yet, that's how we will sometimes work with the companies to help them figure out and the final one is is a really important one which is is it responsible so is it it's trying to find opportunities that are not negatively impacting on other environmental objectives and promoting a just transition where possible so how we define that just transition is also considering different voices and representation for instance from the global south in this kind of carbon transition, so that we don't trace old pathways in, in the same way. Um, yeah, I hope that answered the questions.
0: Definitely. Uh, so, but regarding the, the, the founders in itself that you uh, that you invest in, like, uh, can you tell us a bit more about like the way you position yourself in terms of like uh, the support uh, that you're able to mm-hmm. uh, to to bring to them. Regarding in a way like the, the challenges that you identify that most of the time uh, in that specific industry that they can, uh, they can have.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so we we like to have catchy phrases, but we've kind of put it into four C's. So one is capital, which is kind of obvious if you're a VC investor, but looking at the pre-seed seed stage opportunity. So typically at 250 to 1 million first ticket. Um, then community. So being the currently the only carbon removal only focused VC fund, we will um, have built up this community of both investors, but also startups and also off takers who we have kind of regular catch ups with and and so being able to connect those different players we see as a, a key enabler in the market. And communication. Um, so as I mentioned, the founders have background in kind of media, tech, advertising and helping these early stage startups, both with even press releases and how they kind of attract talent and whatnot, just that whole story and how you kind of evolve it with time is something that we are very open and, and provide hands-on help where we can. Um, And then the final one is commercialization, as we discussed earlier, Um, but also having a a broad base of of venture partners. So entrepreneurs who want to give back and are interested in the space, being able to pull them in and experts to say, you know, specific to this space. Maybe we don't know about that specific sorbent material, but we know about scaling and we can bring in this kind of expert to help you with that specific problem
0: okay so let, let's speak a little bit about uh, about cash here um what are the according to you uh the most promising uh in a way Area that I call like impact uh, that can create impact cash return or ICR, meaning like you know building those impactful companies while creating highly profitable uh, business. Do you see any like underdog subsector of those six areas that you uh, you mentioned uh, previously that you're excited about it uh, and where it really? Can have this, you know, exciting uh, uh, return opportunities as well. Um, that uh, maybe investors listening to the show would be uh, interesting to look at.
1: Um, sorry, can you rephrase that? So, it return on impact, or
0: what? yeah. So, which sector are the most promising for you today in terms of like what we call impact cash uh, return? So, in this uh, carbon capture landscape, uh, we mentioned like different, uh, different, um, you know, areas. Which one do you think uh, have like uh, the most um, you know, uh, opportunities to create highly profitable business uh, while having a big impact uh, as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's so specific on the companies that I think it would be hard to find trends between specific avenue, uh, avenues and their potential impact um, mm-hmm. and return on cash. Um, we certainly see in some areas where the, the company isn't only dependent on carbon credits revenues that, for instance, we've backed this awesome soil carbon uh, measurement company that is all about ground truthing and volume is key. In that case, they're not, they're not generating revenues from carbon removal Opportunities—they're gen- generating revenue from sampling, um, and so, so that's one example where the more volume, the more data, the better the credits you can get. So the better the farmer, the more volume, the cheaper the the products and the cheaper the samples. Um, but at the same time, that, that could uh, hit to rapid growth in the company. So super excited about that. But then on the flip side direct air capture for instance is one that will only be funded from carbon revenues um whether it's through companies that are trying to offset or or however it may be whatever structure it is i think where we see huge opportunities and those are the ones that can really bring that cost down to less than a hundred dollars per ton of carbon removed or captured and also looking at how those can be powered in ways that are are not costing the planet, excuse the pun, but, you know, powered by renewable energy and able to scale, um, that's where we really see those kind of. So that's both ends of the spectrum um, and examples where we see huge potential. Um, But all the companies we look at have that self-sustaining opportunity.
0: Okay, so what's next for Counteract?
1: Well, I don't know what I'm allowed to say publicly, but We are wanting to further our impact um, and I'm happy to to talk about that in more detail with anyone who'd like to. Um, Oh, sorry. Um, But what's next for us? We are growing a lot. Um, Our team has already grown by two since us four started in February and we will likely be recruiting more. We are looking to make a bunch more investments um we are looking to get more permanent office space well not necessarily permanent but we've been quite mobile and looking forward to having a more permanent base and that will be news in the new year um and we've got a couple of biomass opportunities that are going to be coming onto our, our page which we're very excited about hoping to get more in the ocean space kind of the the bio side of it um and excited to see how we can bring more of the global south into the equation and this is an ongoing discussion um which very happy to pick up with
0: fantastic so um last question regarding uh, contract and after uh, as I told you I would ask you your opinion regarding the, the climate crisis and the, the role of uh, a woman in the in the climatic ecosystem so uh, in, in terms of impact I mean you mentioned this uh, you know um, I think if I don't mistake it's like five gigaton uh, that you guys are uh, you know in, in a way uh, targeting to to be removed by the the portfolios of uh, of companies that uh, you're investing in but how do you measure this uh, this impact do you rely on uh, uh, on a, a specific framework that you built in house, or do you have, uh, you know, like a network of scientists that uh, gives you data or look at uh, what you do? H- how does it work?
1: Great question, and this is a very live debate that we are having. Um, frameworks that we have looked at have been that have been very helpful include. The iris plus taxonomy which basically considers the sustainable development goals it also considers the impact management uh, projects five dimensions of impact so who how much risk contribution um, and scale and looking at i don't know if you are familiar with um the EU's taxonomy that um, yeah the European EU taxonomy have produced sustainable finance guidelines for for different considerations that you need to be thinking about if you're investing in climate mitigation or adaptation strategies. Um, so these are all frameworks that we've been overlapping and seeing how how we use it best in-house and it's yeah it's something that's evolving for us. Um, And I think the answer to, you know, how you measure that is, is something that is probably going to crystallize, because it is difficult when you are forecasting a a startup's impact, especially if you've got some that are direct removal and others that are kind of knock on effect, Um, how we analyze each company internally for our investment committee is saying what would have to be true for this this specific company to enable half a gigaton removal by 2050 and maybe by doing that you see okay well you'd have to capture 120 percent of a certain you know plastic portion of the market and is that something that we want to be helping enable yes or no um and other ones it would be how much capex uh or how how, how much capital would have to be raised to enable the capex funding of this direct air capture units to scale to that and and do we think that there's a linear pathway to getting that um and and it just really helps stimulate discussion about what would have to be true in a future to enable that and if there are enough companies that we back that do meet that then that half gigaton will hopefully be even superseded
0: I know it's always the, the challenging part for uh, you know any any firms that i have been speaking to like everybody's kind of like trying to find uh, its way to really like stick to uh, to what they do uh, and what they uh, they're wishing for really like uh, in terms of uh, you know removing carbon or at least the impact uh, that they're seeking to have with the investment that they that they do so Two last question. Uh, your personal view on the on the climate crisis. I mean, as I always ask, we do not uh, What would you say to people who feel demoralized, you know, by all of those terrible news and already visible consequences that uh, we see of uh, about climate change?
1: I I am a hopeless uh, optimist, but I think that's necessary sometimes. I think if you look at humans in the past, we've been able to adapt to very extreme circumstances where we live and apparently, and have in fact checked this, but apparently back in the day before the car was invented, in the UK, there was so much horse poo that was piling up that it almost reached the windows of people's houses and everyone was like, we're doomed. We're not gonna be able to operate in cities anymore. And then the car was invented. And I think just if you have to look at where we've been and i think what will be really crucial in this kind of trying to overcome the the doom of climate change is is drawing inspiration from nature so biomimicry learning from kind of an ecosystem that has evolved over time and seeing how we can help nature do it better will be absolutely crucial um huge fan of lots of biomimicry learnings and how that can be applied to engineering and the likes um and then also just trying to challenge ourselves to not get caught up in the the same ways of measuring success that we have in the past like if you're investing into climate tech opportunities it's important to ask the question how are you measuring that impact beyond just the financial return um so great questions and i think it's good to keep that debate live and moving because that needs to evolve as we evolve our understanding of what's needed. Um, but yeah, quite frankly, I'm, I'm very excited about the different opportunities, ranging from the engineer to the nature base, um, because as I mentioned before, I think we need it all.
0: Exciting! Thank you so much for putting some uh, some hope into this uh, uh, darker, uh, you know. Area, even though I'm speaking with only optimistic people right now, in that sense, it's uh, it's super exciting. So, how do you see the, the the place for women in the in the climatic ecosystem? Uh, you know. W- do you believe that they have an important role uh, to play in the fight against climate change? I believe so. And uh, I mean, we've been seeing so many uh, interesting and incredible women like, like you are uh, coming on the show, uh, you know, taking uh, action at different uh, level in the ecosystem. So what, what what's your what's your take on that?
1: I always struggle with this question. I've- even been, I think, interviewed on CNN for when I was a mechanical engineering master's student, being like, What's it like being an engineer? And to be honest, I think as a population, we're roughly 50 50. And I think that that's so important in every kind of representation that we have. And like with different beliefs, there's the yin and yang, and there are stereotypical traits that you could say are female but maybe they are in a male or whatever gender you identify with. I think what is important is bringing in diversity, not only of gender, but also of kind of thoughts and and circumstances. And as we mentioned about the global south and bringing that into conversation. Um, I did look up some general stats and I think it's pretty well known that female founders and female investors have been less represented in the space and also that's kind of the the feminine nature is a lot more about family and preservation and future looking kind of preservation so i think that that application in the climate space is is huge and it's it's great to see how numbers where you've got balanced representation of females and males in companies are very successful and more likely to get to later rounds and also to see that you know investors who have female representation in the team are also fighting for more female-led companies and I was very very lucky to learn a lot about kind of female investing from my old manager and octopus Zoe Chambers who's an absolute superstar in the space. And I think you can see her profile that the, the numbers of startups that she's backed that have amazing female founders who are the first ones to call her up and feel that kind of faith in the system is is really awesome and a huge role model for me.
0: Thank you so much. So how can the, the community of, uh, of investors, founders, experts uh, listening to the to the show today can help you?
1: I think listen, helping me, just figure out what it is that gives you that energy. Um, and I'm sure that loads of people are feeling that about trying to help this climate movement um, and, and just take the risk of, you know, jumping in. If you've got an idea or you wanna, you're thinking about joining a startup or you're thinking about moving into investing in the space, just reach out to people and connect, I think the power of connectivity is so underrated and and just being bold and demanding that you know it can be better uh is is something i'd encourage everyone and finding what your superpower is and and what you're passionate about um will help all of us cliche i know (laughs) but that's how i genuinely feel
0: okay so any question i should have uh, asked i did not during this uh, this first part of the interview
1: yeah I think probably just encouraging uh, actually yes I would really encourage more PhD students and academics and masters and anyone who's got a a strong affinity for for figuring out how to break the boundaries in science to think about how that can also commercialize Um, because I think there's a, a lack of connectivity in the space that's taking the evolving science and then applying it to the evolving kind of companies and, and being able to bridge that gap either through joining startups or creating startups. I think there's a huge ecosystem waiting to invest in opportunities and would love to help make that connectivity.
0: Thank you so much, Kathleen, uh, for, for your time and your uh, incredible insights on the carbon capture uh, landscape and industry. I, as I said, uh, I feel like we, we just scratched the, 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 the top of it and uh, we should definitely dedicate like uh, uh, for each of those uh, sub uh, subcategories like uh, a, a full podcast uh, and, a, and a real deep dive. So I'm so excited to see, uh, you know, so many brilliant uh, people like, like you putting uh, so much effort to move the ball the towards a, a better and cleaner world. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you G and, and straight back at you and well done for, for doing this and look forward to seeing all the other people you bring onto your show.
0: Hi it's Gum again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climatic ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one. And get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation, And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.